the Lonely Writers Podcast. Where we're giving a big F you to the stigma surrounding the mental, emotional, and physical struggles that come with the writing process before, during, and after the book deal. Before we begin, I wanted to let everyone know about an exciting webinar I will be hosting on April 4th via Zoom at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the why and how of memoir writing. Memoir is one of the most personal forms of creative writing, and often our motivation seems clear. We have lived through something we feel others could relate to, and as such, feel the need to share our story. But there is more to why we are writing a memoir, and it ultimately defines how you write your story. If you are interested in learning more or registering, head over to www.edenbboudreau.com slash F-O-R dash writers. I'm your host, Eden Boudreau, and today I am so excited to talk with Heather Marshall, the author of a brilliant debut novel, Looking for Jane. It weaves together the lives of three women and depicts the devastating consequences that come from a lack of choice and the enduring power of a mother's love. Thank you for joining me, Heather. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get to chat with you. Um, I mean, it's always exciting to talk to Canadian authors and, you know, and to have seeing so many more books set in Canada is so exciting to me. I really, I was just chatting with another author the other day and saying like, it, it was so hard growing up because you wanted to see our stories told in a setting that was familiar to us and looking for Jane is just it's done in such a beautifully relevant way that it doesn't feel like I mean I think anybody who grew up in the 90s knows like Canadian media always felt like a little outdated like just a little out of touch and looking for Jane didn't like it just feels so relevant and so like now um, you know, was that a specific choice to set your novel in Canada and why? It was. And um, I mean, from a marketing perspective, there just always seems to be more of an appetite generally for books set in the States or Europe. And with this novel, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but these networks and the maternity homes, the two sort of threads of this story, they existed in major cities around the world. Um, and so I sort of had the option of setting it elsewhere. And for marketing reasons, mm -hmm. I, I briefly debated setting it elsewhere and decided that um, I don't want to say it felt like selling out, but it sort of did. I, I just yeah. felt that I really wanted to tell the, the Canadian story um, mm. and not sort of bend to any to any pressure to set it elsewhere. Not that there was any, but even just internally. And I'm so glad that I did because that's one of the things I'm primarily hearing from uh, reviewers and from readers is how refreshing it was and how interesting to have a novel set in Toronto that's so familiar 
And there just isn't a whole lot of that. There are a few authors that are doing it and do it very well. Um, right. uh, Genevieve Graham is one that comes to mind um, off the top of my head. She's kind of the, the queen of Canadian historical fiction. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and people love her for that reason. It is just, um, it's refreshing. And, and we have so many stories here that, that need to be told or beautiful settings if it's not a true story, if you're making something up that's entirely fiction. Um, you know, so it's, um, yeah, it was, it was a deliberate choice. Well, I think you make a great point. That's exactly it. We have so many beautiful stories to tell. Um, you know, I think on the opposite side of that as well, which I love seeing coming out, we also have, we also have a very rich history of problematic issues, um, like abortion, like the right to choose that, you know, still to this day are incredibly problematic in Canada. And we often as a country tend to kind of like sweep it under the rug and we're the nice, happy Canadians. And I think it is, I think it's detrimental to our culture to talk about those issues, but only set in America or only set in Europe. And so as much as it's wonderful to celebrate the great things in our country, it's also very important that you're tackling these very real issues that are not that long ago. You know, you have uh, some of your time periods are set in the 70s and the 80s. And I mean, I'm sure to the Gen Z's that seems like eons ago. <laughs> but to me, that's like, that's really not that long ago. So the, you know, the thread of looking for Jane is these, this underground um, abortion ring, these clinics, and kind of wanted and unwanted pregnancy and the, the lack of choices that so many Canadian women and women around the world have faced and still continue to face what motivated you to tell that story? Was there something in your own life that you were kind of pulling those threads from or, or what motivated you? So it was actually um, a couple of things. Years ago, I was doing uh, a history master's degree at the University of Waterloo and I was writing a paper on, just because it, it interested me, but I was writing a paper on Henry Morgenthaler's court challenges at the provincial level in the 80s, in the years leading up to the Supreme Court decision in 1988 that decriminalized abortion. And when I was doing that research, I was down in the bowels of the library going through all the microfilms, <laughs> looking at old newspapers. <laughs> and as I was writing it, I thought, like, this is just so compelling. And it's such an incredible story. You know, I it just seemed like something that I might want to read as a novel. And at that point, I wasn't really seriously considering being a writer. So I didn't sort of think much beyond it. And then a couple of years ago, I just, I was, I was doing some of the research entirely and stumbled across an article on the maternity home system in the post-war era and was completely horrified that I'd never heard of this in my whole history degree. And at that point, I thought, wow, has anyone fictionalized this? Because some of these things are just writing themselves. And that was when I was um, looking for Jane. It was actually not the first manuscript that I wrote, but it's the first one that's been published. And I had sort of started to give up on my first manuscript when this idea kind of dropped into my head. And I was already looking for a new topic. 
And so I sort of had these ideas for a novel about Canada's history of abortion access and a novel about the maternity home system. And I couldn't really seem to kind of get the plots where I wanted them to go with either of those stories. There didn't seem to be sort of quite enough meat there for me to work with individually. And then one day it just clicked for me that they were these two threads of the same story um, of women fighting for control over their lives. And once that clicked, I went, okay, so this can start in the sixties and we'll work through to the eighties and present day. And I can kind of pull in more of these threads and kind of braid together this story. So once that happened, it came quite naturally but um, yeah, it was sort of those two individual topics that I realized were actually one. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I love that because, you know, I think we're always looking for dimension and depth in our stories. And it feels like things like the abortion topic is so broad and so um, deep on its own. But there is so many, like you said, there's so many different um threads of women's healthcare alone that's woven into that. So that's a beautiful thing that you were able to bring those two together to tell this really, really rich story. Um, You know, you mentioned that at the time when you were looking up these microfiche films that you were not even contemplating being a writer, and that was not that long ago. So, you know, your origin story is not quite as far back as many authors. You're still quite like, this really is quite debut for you. What brought you to a place where you decided this is what I want to do. I want to write now. So I've, I've always been a writer um, from the time I could hold a pen. I I think one of my earliest pieces was a uh, rendition of the night before Christmas, but it was about my family And, um, you know, I wrote stories about squirrels and that kind of thing when I was a kid. Of course. I always had the advanced spellers in school, that kind of thing. And so I always loved it. I journaled a lot as a teenager and I went to university and I had very supportive parents that always sort of, you know, the door was wide open for whatever I wanted to do, whatever I wanted to be. That was great. So they weren't by any means holding me back, Um, but I went to university and sort of got into the academic stream and very much enjoyed that. But I think at that time, and especially from when I went to university, there was the um, economic collapse in 2008. So we were all kind of looking at, okay, what's a route that will get me a job in this very competitive job market when I graduate? So I started looking much more pragmatically at my career And I sort of joke now that like, I was the only one holding me back. (laughs) I was the one that didn't sort of go, okay, could I give this a shot? Could I, could I see if I can maybe make a career out of this? Because I think, you know, I, I might have a talent for it. I know I love it. Um, And it just took years for me to really get there. And my first manuscript, I (laughs) started writing when I was doing my master's degrees in my spare time and uh, (laughs) like that was a good idea so that one took a few years to finish and looking for Jane I wrote in one year and I was actually doing some part-time courses and working full-time while I did it but it was just I was so passionate about it and I had so much family support that I just once I started writing I couldn't stop and as I was writing it 
you know, I, I was sometimes crying while I was writing. Um, the research I was doing was so emotional and because I'd never seen anything like this before, I did sort of have this sense. Like, I think I said to my husband at one point after writing a certain chapter, I said, like, I think I might have something here. And that was sort of a moment where I started to wonder, okay, maybe this, maybe this might actually be possible. So it's pretty incredible. A couple of years later, um, yeah. it in my hands and sort of finally acknowledging that, oh, I am a writer. It just sort of took me a bit, <laughs> a bit of time <laughs> to, uh, it yeah, sounds to like kind of get up the guts and make the leap. Right. Cause yeah. as you know, so much rejection involved in the process and, you really have to stick with it. And sometimes you wonder if you're just an untalented hack and no one's ever going to pick you up. And it's like, it's such a torturous process in so many ways. So if you don't believe you can do it, facing that uphill battle is almost impossible. It's hard enough, even when you believe you can do it. So I just had to get to that, that point of belief. And uh, it sounds like really you, you faced so much almost rejection from yourself it's and and that is such a hard thing to explain to other people that are not in a creative field because really it it makes sense to have a, a manager an executive a ceo someone above you rejecting you an agent a publisher an editor But to think about how many years we rejected our own ability, our own talent, our own passion being enough, it's crazy to think that we put ourselves behind for so many years. And it really sounded like you just needed to get that spark of an idea because I I genuinely think anybody can sit down and write. But to have that spark that continues to ignite the passion and move you through the really difficult parts of writing a novel, that's what makes like a writer, that makes an author. And it sounds like you finally found that. And that's so beautiful. Now, was, you know, you had studied and found obviously empathy and compassion for the stories that you had you had uncovered and you were now writing about but was there any thread of your own life or your own experiences that you put into this novel that really helped to pull that you know you said you were having an emotional reaction when reading what you were writing was there any kind of your own life experiences in there that you were able to thread through it Um, interestingly, not particularly like at the time that I was writing it, I wasn't yet a mother. I hadn't experienced a pregnancy or an abortion. So I did a lot of interviews, um, Mm -hmm. to make sure that I got those things right. And obviously everyone's experience of both of those things is very different. One person to the next. Um, but I sort of, you know, collected as much as I could and then decided what I was going to pick and choose out of those to create my characters. But yeah, from a, a personal level, there isn't a whole lot of me in this book, but it's strange. I, I think I've said elsewhere, I sometimes felt more like I was channeling this book than like creating right. it from scratch. Like it was these other women's stories that I felt compelled to tell mm-hmm. um, because they're also stories that are you know, they're, they're topics that people don't really talk about or historically haven't sure. talked about a lot and they've been swept under the rug. Um, people, you know, cherish their privacy about these issues, understandably, but there's also a lot of secrecy surrounding it. There's a lot of stigma and shame, whether internal or external. 
And so I think I, I kind of just in a way sort of wanted to tell all of those women's stories more than my own. Um, But it was different for me. Once we got into the editing process, I was pregnant at that point. And Mm. and just, um, you know, kind of peppering in bits of my own experience with the pregnancy or the feeling of, you know, um, seeing a a positive pregnancy test. And for me anyway, um, being so excited about that, but also feeling like I was, holding something so delicate that, you know, there's a chance that it might not work out. And um, for me, fortunately, it, it did. So those things I wrote into to Angela's character um, in some pieces there. But when we were finishing up the editing process, my baby had just been born. So I was on that sort of postpartum hormonal cocktail <laughs> that you're right. kind of coming down off of and um without giving too much away for those who maybe haven't read it yet I was editing a scene where um a mother is saying goodbye to her child and I was like holding my baby just sobbing oh, I could oh. not handle it and I've said to my husband I said I I think it was a good thing that I wrote Jane when I did and before having children because I said I think it might have been too difficult now Right. I think it almost might have hit too close to home for me to really separate myself from it and for me to be able to kind of dive into that emotional cold water, um, you know, and, and experience that so that the readers can experience it. So the way the timing lined up with my own life um, was was quite beautiful in a way. It, um, it really yeah. quite, quite well. It sounds kind of, like it. I know I kind of meandered a bit there, but... No, it's, I, I love that because I mean, I think honestly, I think that's what holds so many writers back from telling certain stories because it is so hard. It is so emotional. Um, it touches so deeply on experiences that they've had that it becomes far too difficult to write it. Um, and I think it's beautiful that you took your skill and your talent and you act as, as sort of a conduit for these women's stories. And I think that's inspiring for writers because I think sometimes there are writers there who have, you know, lived lives maybe that weren't as broad or expansive as other writers, but they have this skill and they have this storytelling urge and they worry that, well, because I haven't lived these experiences, I can't tell them. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that you are a perfect example that, you know, just because you haven't lived it doesn't mean that you can't bring life to it. And yeah, that's just so beautiful that you had the opportunity to do it. And then, like you said, still kind of got to experience bits of it as with your pregnancy and then having your your child afterwards. That's absolutely beautiful. One of the things, um, you know, when people talk about the writing process and for this story, obviously, I did a lot of interviews But one of the things I love about interviews, like it doesn't need to be, you know, a police officer or someone in some kind of like, um, you know, uh, professional position who might have information for you. I think, you know, you can find information on the internet. When I'm doing my research and I do interviews, I, I ask people, how did that make you feel? What did your body feel like in that moment? What were you smelling? What were you thinking? Can let me put myself in your experience. And that's what I did for, for the interviews for this novel. And I think that's 
maybe part of what readers are feeling um, when they read it is that it is sort of visceral in that sense because people were willing to share some, um, you know, really emotional things with me for this story. Yeah. So it is real people's stories. And I think that's part of what helps it ring true. So I don't think writers should shy away from asking those questions in interviews. Because as I say, you, you can find facts and information anywhere, but people's lived experiences, if you're trying to honor that or in some way kind of replicate that in your book, you're only ever going to get that from real people. Exactly. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think even if you're writing about experiences that are your own, I still think it's helpful to interview and to talk with other people to show a depth and, you know, more than that, just that one plane of the one experience, you know, we talk about subplots, but it's not even subplots so much as it's as opposite uh, perceptions you know, we always talk about, you know, one event is viewed in many different eyes. And so many people who attended the same event, or the same historical situation may have entirely different perceptions of it. So it's very important, like you said, to be interviewing, to be talking to people, um, not just Googling kind of what happened during that era or that time. Um, you know, when you were approaching because like you said, there is still so much stigma and so much secrecy and sensitivity around these subjects like abortion and um, being made to give up your child. When you were approaching these women and these subjects to do interviews, did you find there was kind of a pushback? Was there a difficulty to, you know, get them to trust you with their stories? Or did you find that they were quite receptive, that they wanted to, you know, be heard? I only approached people that I knew relatively well, well enough to ask them for something so personal. Um, but everyone that I interviewed was incredibly um, willing to discuss their experience. I think some people have just never even been asked, you know, it's mm. um, something that they maybe dealt with on their own and didn't really process it, didn't really have a place to put it. And so, you know, talking to someone who wants to write about it, who's asking about their experience, I think, you know, maybe was a good thing for them. So they were very open with me about it. And I was very open with my, my interviewees because for things like, you know, giving your child up for adoption or experiencing abortion. These are not light subjects. I'm not talking about people having a picnic on the beach where I can put myself there and go, oh, that's what a picnic on the beach is like. Yeah. You know, I felt um, a very strong responsibility to get it right. If I was going to do it, I needed to do it right. Right. And again, understanding that every person's experience is going to be a bit different from others and some may not relate their experience to what the character's experiencing in the book. But for the most part, I really wanted to make sure that it uh, rang true for those who are familiar with those, um, those events. Yeah, wonderful. It definitely, um, as you know, as a woman who has had abortions uh, in my younger years, it did. It was very... Um, it was very in tune with reality, but it was also not sugarcoated. And I love that. I, I am a big fan of 
not taking things and making them commercially acceptable, um, as you're often seeing so much in Hollywood. You know, it doesn't need to be so gritty that it's almost like, you know, snuff film type. You know, it's not gore for gore's sake or shock value, but the realism that you need to see in fiction is so important because I think people like your interviewees and like myself, we read it and we think like, well, that's kind of what it was like. But in your book, it it is so very true to what happens and those emotions that you go through. And that's such a beautiful honor to those women who have gone through it. Um, I'd like to circle back to, you know, talking about, you know, j- just becoming a writer uh, in general, you, you know, you had a career before this and you said you were working on school and you did have a very supportive family, but you know, what was that transition like? I mean, you said yourself, you were, you yourself were kind of holding yourself back. And I imagine it was kind of concerning like the instability of the work and, you know, when am I going to get paid? And <laughs> how does that kind of, you know, look like going from having a paycheck all the time to, you know, getting a check here and there and you know really having to divvy up the responsibilities in your home differently you know how did that look for you were you more hesitant than your family and and what really made that change for you so I'm not actually writing full-time yet um I'm currently on maternity leave but um I've not uh I'm a a fairly risk-averse person so (laughs) I definitely won't be leaving my day job anytime soon uh, well I mean momming is a full-time job as it is so exactly exactly (laughs) Uh, so we'll kind of see how things uh shake out with the career but it does make it busier when when I can't be on it full time. Um, you know, you end up writing on weekends and late at night and sometimes there's a screaming baby and you're feeling guilty about not going to help out. And it's, you know, <laughs> a lot harder to focus than it was uh, writing first draft before I was a mom. Right. But this time around, I'm actually, I'm currently um, closing in on the first draft of my next story, my next novel. And the deadline's at the end of this month. So I've been writing it while I was on maternity leave. And, uh, you know, massively, chronically sleep deprived. And I've read what that does to your creative juices, which I wildly (laughs) underestimated. But, um, you know, that's been um, a challenge for my whole family. I've got, again, incredibly supportive um, parents. And they, um, you know, there's been a lot of free childcare involved to make sure that I can Mm -hmm. hit this deadline. And I've got a very understanding partner. So, you know, those things all, all help, but it's, um, it's a slog. And especially, you know, if I'm able to transition into full, into full-time writing at some point, mm-hmm. there is that, um, kind of wobbly phase in the middle where you have to sort of take a leap and gamble on yourself. Right. Yeah. And, which is um, terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Exactly. Cause there's, it is. you know, I still sort of have that imposter syndrome. Like I'm, I'm still kind of in shock of, like how this book has been received. And I think my, my agent, and my editors are, are not as shocked. Um, but you always have that imposter syndrome, I think, as a, no. as a creative where you think, really, my book, people, you know, yes. people are reading. Um, so I that's- think that's such an important notion to talk about <laughs> the imposter syndrome, because, you know, it's, I think 
everyone suffers from it, but especially when you're fortunate enough to have your debut, you know, come off the presses so hot and just have this astounding reviews. It, it, it must be incredibly hard to be like, well, but like, what do you mean? It's, it's so good. Like, I know it's good ish, but like, it's, did you find that it was really hard to accept that this was going to be such a success? Absolutely. And it still feels so surreal to me. Um, I came across a, uh, I, I moved houses recently, so I was clearing out a filing cabinet and I came across a stack of documents that I had from various like writers, you know, workshops and stuff that I attended over the years. And there was this Q and A on how to get published. And I was sort of just holding it and like thinking back to that time <laughs> of when that I was still describing, like I was writing off my writing and calling it a right. pipe dream and really discounting it anytime anyone asked me, oh, how's the writing going? I was like, oh, mm-hmm. well, it's not gonna happen. So don't ask me about it. And, you know, again, kind of holding myself back in that way. But the, you know, sort of looking back on that document that I was holding and this dream of being a published author, like it still just does feel very very surreal. Um, it's the sort of things that happen in other people's lives, right? You, you hear right. about other authors <laughs> and you hear about other people getting their agents and it never happens to you. And it's, um, you know, that whole process of trying to get an agent and then getting editors to pick it up. Like there's so much rejection involved and you do become callous to it. You develop a skin for it and you move on, but there's so much rejection that now pivoting to having so much acceptance of my work is like, I, I still haven't adjusted to that. Yeah. It's wonderful, but I still haven't adjusted. Well, and that leads me to my next question because we talk so much about the rejection and how that forces us to often, um, you know, commercialize our work or kind of play to what we think an editor or an agent might want. But we don't talk so much about, you know, getting these rave reviews and then feeling the pressure to like up the ante for the next book. And so are you, are you kind of in that midst of struggling of like, ah, I got to make it better. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be, you know. Absolutely. And no one's asked me about that yet. And I I talk about (laughs) it every day with my loved ones because I see, see people bless them you know, on Instagram going, oh, I can't wait to see what you come out with next. And I kind of want to be like, please manage your expectations. I'm working on Uh, And I mean, I have, yeah, wonderful editors who will help me, uh, you know, buff and polish it, but um, I'll be handing in a rougher draft than I think I ever have as a result. But it's, it's very true. Like, cause you sort of, you know, get this fear of like, oh God, I don't want to peek on my debut. Like, do I have anything say or did I pump it all into this debut I think Mm. if you're if you're a creator you you always create you will always find things to create you're never gonna run out it's you know right not a pie that all of a sudden you know the slices are gone and that's it um so I don't probably need to worry but that imposter syndrome absolutely (laughs) kicks in right you're like of course and it's such a self-fulfilling what do I do? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's such a, like, it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy too, because no one else is telling us that right. like maybe some jerk on Goodreads, but like your editors aren't telling you that your agent isn't telling you that like, nobody is saying like, let's wait for her to fall on the second yeah. one. It's yeah. really like, it's just such an internal dialogue that we give ourselves. And it's such a, a sin because I do 
think that you often will occasionally see people who their second book comes out and it's not quite as successful because of like a million different factors, but then they put it on themselves that it's, it, I didn't do well enough. And, and it's, I think it's, I think it's really important to talk about because I think younger writers or aspiring writers think that once you get that book deal and you get a second book deal, that it's all gravy, but it's, you know, it's still a constant kind of battle with your own internal dialogue, you know, until maybe, maybe when you're like Stephen King, maybe yeah. he doesn't like shit maybe on himself. Now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is maybe. true. Right. And like, you know, I think what a lot of people who maybe don't write, don't know, or haven't been published, don't know is that some people will spend, I mean, I wrote looking for Jane quite quickly, but some people will spend years writing their debut and then you send it out to beta readers, you do your own rounds of edits, your agent then does some revisions before they even send it out to editors. Editors then help you with revisions until we get the final product. So again, my husband keeps kind of reminding me, okay, let's not compare your current rough draft to the final <laughs> version of looking for Jane. This is, you know, and often you're writing the second book on a much shorter timeline while you're promoting the book that is already out. So your attention is divided. Um, so it's a very different process entirely from, from the debut. But I do try to keep in mind, you know, when I start to, when my confidence kind of wobbles is that even some of my favorite authors who are prolific, they, they wax and wane, right? So there's hits and misses. There are some where I pick up their latest book because I love them and I go, I don't even know if I'm actually going to finish this. It's just not grabbing me, not their best, or doesn't appeal to me, but other people love it. And then I still go out and pick up their next one because overall I've loved their work and, you know, one of their novels just wasn't for me. So exactly. I remember that, that no creator can, you know, hit it out of the park every time. I think that's, that's pretty rare. That's a hundred percent. That is such a good point. And I think it also just brings us back to something I talk about with a lot of the authors is just brings you back to why are you writing? Like, of course we all want you know, bestsellers and financial successes. But if every book we write is you're writing it to be a bestseller, they're probably not going to be bestsellers. <laughs> it really like you have to like, I think those authors you're talking about that it's like there's 17 books in it's because they're writing them because they want to write those stories. They love giving their readers this new world or, or whatever it is. And so their motivation for writing doesn't run out of steam. I think if you were writing for the dollar signs and for the, you know, catalog numbers, you're going to run out of steam real quick. Totally. So yeah, it's just that motivation. Exactly. You're, you're just going to end up writing what someone else has already written. Yeah, exactly. To cater to that much to the market and what people want, you're, you're going to lose your own voice in there. And your voice is what attracted readers to you to begin with. Exactly. And, you know, this day and age with the market just being flooded the way it is with, uh, you know, traditional publishing and then self-publishing and, and, you know, hybrid publishing, all of this stuff, fan fiction, you can't really take that chance anymore. You have to really have a unique voice. You have to stand out, you know, and, um, 
you know, not necessarily like, I don't like to ever pressure people into like, it's going to be so fresh and unique. Like we're all telling the same eight stories (laughs) in different ways. Totally. It's how you tell it. Yeah. Yeah. It's how you tell it. And that's exactly what I always say. I always say you have to have a unique lens. And once you have that unique lens, that's all that matters, you know? And that's something that I, I loved so much about looking for Jane and, you know, I'm, I'm excited for your next one to see what your next kind of unique lens is going to be about. Um, are you thinking that you want to kind of stay being so new and debut that you want to stay in the historical fiction side, or are you going to kind of explore some new genres? It's a good problem that I have like <laughs> a list as long as my arm of ideas. And like right. all, while I'm writing this book, I've been like pitching 18 ideas to my agent. I'm like, what about this? <laughs> what about this she's like okay let's just focus on getting this done (laughs) Um, but I mean that's that's a good thing because there are some writers that kind of struggle after one or two successes and they sort of go oh dear I'm maybe out of ideas so that's yeah a good problem to have but it does mean that you sort of have to to pare it down and focus Um, but I think for now I'll probably stay in in historical fiction it's um, what I like to read and, and what I like to write and, you know, I've still got so many ideas for, um, for things to explore in historical fiction before maybe uh, branching out a little bit. Beautiful. That's wonderful. I think it's fantastic because, you know, the, I, I feel like historical fiction kind of took a backseat for a little bit. It wasn't, you know, it kind of was very like on trend for a while and then it was quiet. And then all of a sudden Bridgerton popped up and, <laughs> <laughs> and now we're all diving back into it. And I am, it's not my genre to write. I am not good at memorizing that many facts. They do not <laughs> stay in my head. I don't know how y'all do it, but I am such a history nerd that it is it's so fascinating to me. I, I absolutely love it. So I'm very, very excited for what you have coming. Um, So to round out our conversation, I want to do a fun little segment that we like to call our weekly fuck yeses. (laughs) So this is an opportunity to share a fuck yes moment from the last week or so where something unexpected or expected went really, really right. And, you know, you deserve to celebrate it, whether it's big or small, you know, you deserve to give yourself a pat on the back and kind of acknowledge that moment. So what was your fuck yes moment from my recently? Fuck yes moment, I think, was going to see my book at Indigo. Oh, um, yes. You know, you kind of dream about it. And when you're an aspiring to be published, I don't I hate it when people say they're an aspiring writer. If you're writing, you're a writer. But if you're aspiring right. to be published you know, you're in a bookstore and you're kind of going, oh my God, all these people have realized their dream and maybe Mm -hmm. one day it'll be me. And, you know, you sort of feel that, like that desperate passion for it. So going in to see it on, you know, like the Indigo bestseller shelf and it was the pick of the month for March. And again, kind of like hold it in your hand and pluck it off the shelf. People are coming into a bookstore to to buy my book. And um, yeah, that was, that was quite a moment. I, um, you know, with the pandemic and everything, the launch has been a bit different than it it would have been otherwise. I wish we'd been able to kind of throw a bit of a party, but it was really a party for me to just go and and see it on the shelf. That was that was pretty cool. 
that's so exciting like it was a moment in my life yeah that was I feel like it's not though I feel like that's such a big moment like I and then in turn I always think of like the the bookstore owners and workers who just stand there and watch us standing in front of the bookshelves like oh it's another one look it's an author like why did you get selfies with this book like look yeah 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 no that's a a good fuck yeah moment that is a good one and it's it's worth celebrating because you know the the world is burning around us and uh you have to celebrate where you can and that is such uh you know the fact that you wrote and edited and produced and gave birth to this beautiful book baby in the midst you know of pre- during and post pandemic for post pandemic now is, is such a massive accomplishment. And, and, uh, like, you know, we talked before we started recording, I, you know, we rarely get a chance to read through every book that comes across our desk, but I read through, I just ate up looking for Jane and I, it was just such a beautiful read and you should be really, really proud of it. Thank you. And is it okay if I make a little plug here at the end? Absolutely. I was just okay. going to give you the opportunity to actually, yes, <laughs> give a little plug and also let our listeners know where they can um, get connected with you online so that they can stay up to date on everything. But please plug away. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I've been very clear that I have an agenda with this book. And um, when I learned that over 300,000 Canadian women, most of them teenage girls, were forced or coerced into giving up their babies for adoption over that 30-year period, I was just beyond horrified. But I also learned, and if you've got my book, you'll see in the author's note, I talk quite a bit about it. The, uh, to make a very long story short, uh, the government sort of studied this um, maternity home system and the Canadian Canada Senate committee um, made a recommendation that the government needs to issue a formal apology to the survivors of this system and their children for the significant trauma that they endured. And they made that recommendation four years ago. The government had one year to respond and they have done nothing. It's an apology. <laughs> it costs yeah. nothing. It's about a half an hour of the prime minister's time in the House of Commons. And I am just appalled that this has not happened yet. So the readers finish the book. If they have been touched by this, I would just love so much for them to get in touch with their elected representatives, their MPs, and please just add your voice to, to these voices. I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm gratified by the success of the book on a personal level, but I, uh, if we can use this as a springboard to get these women their apology, that will just be all I needed more from this book, but um, I'm really hoping that readers will get engaged and I'm hoping that with enough squeaky wheels, we can put some pressure on. So you can visit my website. It's heathermarshallauthor.com forward slash justice. And there's lots of information there on the sort of background of the maternity home system and you can read up on it for yourself and there's ways to, uh, to get involved. So that is my wish for this book. These women have been waiting for this apology for uh, so long and it's the very least we can do. 100%, I agree. And, you know, along with contacting your MPs and your local officials, get on Twitter. I mean, Twitter is a hellscape, but it can be useful for really getting people's attention. Get on Twitter, tag 
you know, tag and and reach out to Trudeau and all of these politicians who are promising things and then just, you know, looking the other way. And like you said, it's an apology. It takes 30 minutes. Frankly, there should be significantly more done for these women and, you know, and, and their families and their legacies that were shattered by these kind of things. But if the least you're asking is for is an apology, you can get up and do it. So get on Twitter, get in those spaces where we can really call these politicians out. Well, thank you so much again, Heather, and uh, everybody head to your local independent bookstore, or you can shop at bookshop.org slash the lonely writers podcast to pick up your copy of looking for Jane, which just came out on March 1st. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Eden. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. And if you would like to show your support, please head over to our Ko-fi page using the link in our show notes to make a donation. This show is a passion project, and without your support, we couldn't make it happen. Thank you for listening, and until next time, Lonely Riders, be well.